so we've been in the month of August speaking about eternity. I don't know about you, but I've been so encouraged and so challenged and so blessed by the series. Who would agree with me? It's been so awesome just to constantly place the, the topic and the, the, the theme of eternity before us. And the, I find that the more we do that, the more I find myself reevaluating everything. That really, the more we place eternity before us, the more we literally reevaluate everything in our lives, our priorities and what we're busy with and, and what we're doing. And Luke and Amo have been speaking from Ecclesiastes 3, the fact that God placed eternity in our hearts. It's something that, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, it's, it's, it's deep down there inside this, this divine discontent, this godly discontent, knowing that I'm made for so much more than just this. There's, there's something more, and that something more is the other world that we were created for. Luke used my favorite C.S. Lewis quote, which I won't quote again. Um, but really, the, the way that we think about eternity determines the way that we live today. What we think about eternity determines how we think about today. And so if we're living with this kind of vague, fuzzy idea of, you know, one day in at some future point in my life, I'm going to die and I'm going to, you know, enter into some kind of heaven situation. You know, if we live with this vague idea of what our future is, it's going to impact the way that we live today. And so that's why throughout Scripture, God constantly brings up the topic of eternity, constantly brings up the topic of our future. And uh, I've actually been seeing it more and more, now that we're actually speaking about eternity, it feels like every time I'm reading scripture, it, like, it pops out. And I realize again just how much the, you know, the New Testament authors or Jesus or even throughout the Old Testament, just how much scripture deals with the topic of, of eternity. And Jesus, obviously, he was always trying to help his disciples to, to think bigger than they're here and they're now. They were just so aware of, you know, their immediate needs and, and their desire for this Messiah who was going to come and take over the Romans. And he's constantly trying to give them this big picture of the, the kingdom of God and there's an eternal kingdom and we get to be a part of this eternal kingdom. And he's telling them, Matthew 6, it's there on the screen, that, you know, don't, don't uh, kind of invest only here on earth and build up these earthly treasures because everything that you build up here on earth at some point is going to be corrupted, it can be stolen, it can be taken away, but rather invest in eternal treasures. Build up treasures in heaven where nothing can be corrupted, can be stolen. And um, I think it's so powerful for us to be having these conversations about eternity right now. In, uh, in the times that we're, we're busy living with, uh, li living in, um, I'm sure many of you have been receiving lots of messages and, and WhatsApps and things around what's going on in, in Afghanistan in the last two weeks. And um, just to think of what the church in Afghanistan must be going through right now, where, you know, for many church leaders, for many believers, eternity might be coming in the next kind of, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming, coming months. And they, they, they've been confronted with, uh, uh, we've been getting some updates of, of people who've been investing in the last 20 years. They've like poured themselves into that nation and it feels like in a day, you know, so much of their work has been wiped out. 
but of course, many of maybe the structures are going to look different going forward, but, but they haven't been building an earthly kingdom there. They've been building eternal things. And so I think this is, this is where it becomes real about what is eternal and what is temporary. Um, and uh, of course, the last year and a half, I believe, with the whole pandemic, all of us are constantly being confronted with the whole thing of, of eternity, where we're being shaken... I, rem- I remember in kind of February, March last year when things were, were going downhill quickly and like, what is this new way of living and this, this crazy time that we're ent- entering into? I remember praying and asking God, like, what, what is the deal? Where are we going and w- what is happening? And while, of course, I don't believe coronavirus and, and everything that came with it comes from God, I, honestly, obviously, I don't believe that, but I, I do believe that God uses everything for good right? And he can use even something like what we've been through in the last year and a half for good. And I I believe some of the good that God has been bringing out of this is he's been shaking us. This is what I felt him saying right at the beginning was that he's allowing a shaking so that what is eternal may remain and what is temporary may be removed. It's in Hebrews 12 where God speaks about once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. And I think many of us have experienced that in the last year and a half. A removal of what can be shaken, that is created things, man-made things, earthly ideas, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And that's a good work. That's a great work that God is doing in our hearts. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're still in Hebrews 12, hey? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's amazing to think that every single kingdom that has ever existed has at some point come to an end. Isn't that amazing to think? Every single kingdom, whether it's through corruption or famine or sickness or an invading army or something, every kingdom that has been built up has at some point come to an end. Think of how many kings the earth has seen in its history. How many people have arisen to power throughout earth's history? You know, come through the ranks, become a, a judge or a politician or a ruler or a dictator or a pharaoh or a Caesar or some kind of person in power and they have assumed all this power and then at the end it all comes to nothing but there's one kingdom that is eternal and the kingdom that we have is eternal it can never be corrupted it can never be stolen it will never come to an end and so I really believe what what I've been seeing in the last year and a half is through the shaking even within the church, I don't think we're here to play church anymore, hey? <laughs> maybe, it, it, maybe before coronavirus, it was a bit easy to play church, where church was this, just this nice feel-good thing. We come here on Sundays, and we get a nice message, and nice, sing a few nice songs, and then we go home, but nothing really changes. And it's so easy. And of course, church is enjoyable. I mean, <laughs> there's joy here, and we enjoy it, but, but we also get changed here. We also get challenged here. We, all our idolatry and our selfishness and all of that, it gets 
challenged here so that we can change, so that we can be the church in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our homes. And so there's not really, it feels like there's, there's less room to just play church after the shaking that we've been through. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I read the stories of what's going on in Afghanistan and what those people are having to give up, then you realize that the church there is not, they're not playing church. And it inspires me to, to not want to play church here because the, the more we speak about eternity and our calling, and this morning I'm going to be speaking a little bit about our eternal calling that we have. The more we speak about it, the more it demands a response from us. Because if everything that we say we believe about the future is true, then it impacts the way that I'm going to be living right here and right now. And um, there's a phrase that we're going to be looking at uh, that Paul loves to use in the New Testament and uh, uses it in various places. And it's, it's kind of a response to eternity. And we, uh, the one that we're going to focus on is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. You can follow on the screen, or you can follow in your own Bibles. Are you with me this morning? Awesome. This is a beautiful piece of scripture that we're going to read. So he says, I therefore... And uh, the therefore is there because I actually wish we had time to read the whole of like chapters 1 to 3. Please do yourself a favor. Go home today, somewhere in this week. Just read chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians. They are just so beautiful. They establish this incredible foundation of what we believe in, of what God has done in our lives. The fact that we don't deserve anything, but because of his goodness, he came in. And he, he, he made us his children. And we're going to look at a few of the verses from chapters 1 to 3 this morning. But really, go and read everything. Because it, it all builds up to this, therefore. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. He was literally a prisoner for the Lord. He was, uh, he was in prison in Rome at the time. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's some amazing things to think about as we, in these times where there's just so much division around vaccination and coronavirus and all these things, that's a good guide for us. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How eager are we to maintain the unity of the Spirit? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this phrase of... You know, um, walking in a manner worthy of the calling. We find it throughout the, the New Testament. Paul loves to use it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel 
of Christ. Colossians 1 verse 9 to 10. And so from the day we heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good, season, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Powerful scriptures, hey? Romans 12, verse 1 says it slightly differently, but it says basically the same thing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so this is, what, this is the phrase that we're going to be focusing on this morning that I, be, I believe God laid on my heart when we're speaking about eternity. is to speak about our eternal calling and what does it mean to walk in a, manner, in a manner worthy of our calling. And what is our calling? What is our calling that we need to walk in a manner worthy of? So firstly, Paul uses this word walk there, which he uses throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians, you'll find it everywhere. And what he's saying there, sometimes he uses it specifically, like he'll say, you know, walk in wisdom or walk in love. But what he's saying is, is basically live. When he's saying walk in a manner worthy, live in a manner worthy, he's, he's speaking of, he's describing the kind of day-to-day living of Christian life, the getting up in the morning, the coming to church, the feeding your family, the going to work Monday to Friday, you know, the exercising, the holidays, the business decisions, in everything. It's, it's the, the exciting parts, it's the boring parts, it's the mundane parts, it's the highs, it's the lows, it's life, it's living. And he's saying, do all those things in a manner worthy of your calling. And when he says walk worthily, what he's saying is walk in a way that is fitting for your calling. Walk in a way that is appropriate, suitable, fitting for your calling. And I think this is such a a powerful principle because, you know, you're not going to find the answer to every question that you have directly in Scripture, every decision that you need to make, every choice you need to make, should I live in Cape Town or should I live in George? Should I send my kids to this school or to that school? Should I make this business decision or this business decision? And of course, we have the Holy Spirit within us and we have the wisdom, the counsel of many around us. But in our decision-making, our choices, this is a beautiful guiding principle. Whatever you do, just Make a decision, make a choice that is worthy of the calling that you have. And um, I think what's very important for us is not to misunderstand this, because for many years I misunderstood this phrase where it kind of feels like, okay, I need to now become worthy of the calling that I have. I need to become deserving. But we can never deserve the gospel. Amen. We can never earn the gift that we've been given. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. It is a gift that is given freely by the grace of God, not based on anything that I have done, 
not based on any righteousness, no matter how many times I've led worship, how many times I've preached, or how many times I've ministered, how many times I've given food to the hungry, no matter, that doesn't qualify me for the gift of salvation. It is a gift. So we don't become deserving of the gospel, but rather the gospel is deserving of a certain way of living. Do you see the, the way that it flows? It's not, I'm not becoming worthy of my calling, but my calling demands a certain response. It demands a certain way of living. And um, I think it's so important for us to understand this because sometimes we can be tempted to go into performance mode now. Hey? I need to do something now. I need to, okay, I need to psych myself up and, and, and get ready. But it's not about performance mode. It's, it's not about flowing towards becoming worthy of our calling, but rather consider your calling, consider the gospel, and then res- respond in the way that you live. And the amazing thing is that even our ability to respond isn't based just on us. Yes, there's faith that God places in our hearts and we, we respond with faith, but I love what um, Paul prays for the church in, in 2 Thessalonians. He's, uh, we can read it there. Um, to this end, we always pray for you that, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it's even grace to be able to respond well, <laughs> to be able to respond worthily, to live a worthy life? We need the grace of God. We need his sustaining power. We need him to be able to, to do this. And so that's why Paul prays for them. I pray that God would make you worthy. This isn't some self-reliance, self-determination. I'm going to live this life in a certain way. It's complete reliance on the grace that God gives us. It's, a, it's the work of God in our lives. And so God helps us to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. And um, I said I want to speak about what our calling is. But before we speak about what our calling is, if you remember, he said, walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you were called. First, I want to speak about the fact that we are called to a calling. And when Paul says, you're called, what he's saying is that you once were dead, but because of the, the work of Christ, you are alive. You once were dead, you once had, and I mean, a dead body can't do anything for themselves, right? Dead body can do nothing for itself, but God made us alive. The, the gospel was preached. The word was preached to us. And this dead body somehow came to life because of the work of God in this dead body. Um, Ephesians 2 describes this. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were just following every desire that we wanted. We were lost. We were dead in our sin. But God, that's a great but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive 
together with Christ. Hallelujah. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's the act of being called to a calling. Is God making us alive, turning us from the walking dead into people who can walk in a manner worthy. I love that first song that we sang after the announcements this morning. You called my name. It's basically like Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come out. He did that to each one of us. He came to our tomb and he said, Luke, come out. And Luke was a dead body inside that tomb. Each one of us, we were a dead body inside that tomb. But Jesus called and somehow we were able to answer. Somehow we were able to respond. We were able to come out. That is the act of being called. And we were called not just to come and stand outside the tomb and, okay, what, what now? We were called to a calling. I think part of our living a life worthy of our calling is to understand what Jesus did for us when he called us what it took for him to call us, living in response to the sacrifice of Jesus. And I, I've been thinking about it. eternity. It's such a huge idea, and it's so difficult to, to put a grasp on it because we, we can't. The idea of God who has always existed, he had no beginning, and the fact that we're going to live with him forever, there's going to be no end. It's such a, it's a huge concept that we can never wrap our minds around, but... There's a center. There's a middle point to eternity. The cross of Jesus is at the center of eternity. History has a middle point. History has a turning point where basically everything before the cross was just a build-up to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. And everything after the cross is just a response to the cross. How are you going to live in response to the cross of Christ? Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks each one of us as his disciples. And so eternity, oh, sorry, the cross rather is at the center. And part of living a worthy life is just living in response to what Jesus did. Almost the other day, or a few weeks ago, he shared one of my favorite stories of uh, the two Moravian uh, missionaries, I can't remember when they lived, I think it was in the 1800s, and they wanted to reach the slaves of the West Indies. And so what they wanted to do, it's, the story is a bit unclear about whether they were successful in able, being able to do it or not, but they had the intention, and they, for all intents and purposes, they went through with it. In order to reach the slaves of the West Indies, they wanted to sell themselves into slavery because that was the only way in which they could reach the slaves. This was the only way they could reach this, this unreached group of people. And uh, it's said that as they left their family, as they left their friends, imagine you're about to sell yourself into slavery. What are your last words going to be to your family and your friends? And they said these words, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. 
That's a life lived in response to the sacrifice of Jesus. That's a life where I realize it's not about me and my ideas and my kingdom and my name and my desires and my ambitions and my dreams. May the lamb receive the reward for his suffering. I'll do whatever it takes. I will lay down my life so that Jesus can receive the reward for what he suffered for. Living in response to the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus calls us to a calling. So let's quickly speak about what is, what is that calling. I think when we speak about calling, we often think of the specifics. And um, like for myself, I know that God has called me for worship and worship discipleship. My wife knows that she's called for education and at the moment raising kids. <laughs> um, and uh, so each of us, you know, we have, a, we have an idea and I, I do believe that God has prepared good works for us to walk in, you know, as a doctor or as a financial person or as a, <laughs> there are too many financial categories, uh, as, a, as a teacher or as a stay-at-home mom or as a pastor or whatever the case is. There are these things that God has prepared for us. And when we think of calling, we often think of those things. Ephesians 2 says, we are his workmanship. We created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So there's, there's these things that God has prepared for us to walk in. That's amazing. And I, I think a huge part of our, of our lives is, is discovering those things that Jesus has prepared for us to, to walk in. But I don't believe that that's the calling that, that Paul is speaking about here when he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He's not saying walk in a manner worthy of being a doctor or being a teacher or being an accountant. He's saying, he, he's speaking about a bigger picture calling here. He's speaking about the great calling that we have, this hope that we have, this end destination that we have. What is our calling? Our calling is to become like Jesus. Our calling is to stand blameless, sinless, forever forgiven in the presence of God. To know God, to see God, to be able to engage with God, to enjoy Him, and to be enjoyed by Him for the rest of eternity. That is our calling. We are called for Him and for His purposes. We are called to share in His kingdom. Uh, in, you can go and read it for yourselves in Ephesians 1. It, we, we get to share in Christ's rule of the new creation. That's part of our calling. This is what we're called for. We get to be, Ephesians 2 speaks about the fact that we're, we're part of his heavenly temple. Where the presence of God used to be limited to a specific time and place, the temple. God is building this new temple out of us. Where we get to host the presence of God. God is with us. God is in us. This is a good calling, amen? <laughs> this is a great calling. And I, I think what I'm really just trusting for, the, for this morning, it's not something my words can convey. It's something the Holy Spirit has to bring in our hearts is for us, each one of us to understand that we are called to a great calling. We are chosen for a great calling. God has called and chosen each one of us. Wow. And then how do we live in response to that? If you've been invited, if you've been chosen, if you've been called to this amazing privilege 
of having none of your sin count in the presence of God, none of your background, none of your baggage, none of your issues. We are called, we are chosen to be forgiven in the presence of God, to know him and to be known by him. I think it's so important for us to understand why we do everything that we do. Would you, would you agree with me? Hello, Eli. <laughs> he's playing with his tigers. Okay, let's focus here. I know he's a very cute kid. He's in our small group. He's very cute. Um, but I think it's so important for us to understand why we do what we do, right? The big why behind everything that we do. Because we... We all like the big moments and the exciting moments. Like I said, we've had the best five and a half months of our lives here in George, so it's all going amazing. But it's, it's the kind of the day-to-day disciplines, the monotony, the same old, same old. Those are the things that we struggle with. Being the daily faithfulness, the daily sense of purpose when, when things aren't quite as exciting. And um, has anyone here done any kind of form of endurance sport Stick up a hand. Okay. About half of you. So I always share the story when I speak about endurance because 2017, uh, a friend of mine mine and myself, we decided, I don't know what made us decide this, but we'd never run more than 21Ks. We'd done a a half marathon. Then we're like, let's do comrades next year. And uh, so it's quite a jump from a 21 to a comrades. And so we started training for this thing. And uh, before living in Georgia, I live in Stellenbosch. Beautiful trails, Yonkers Hook, you know, you're out there on the mountains, and uh, trail running is amazing. It's just like, because you, you're, you're so distracted by the beauty, and you've, it's a technical path, so you kind of need to focus, and you don't really realize how hard you're working, because just everything is so beautiful. And then I got to road running, and road running is just kilometer after kilometer after boring kilometer on this tar road, and often the, the most like disheartening is when you've, you can see like 10 kilometers ahead. So you can see 10 Ks, in an hour I'm going to be there, but it all's just going to look like it looks right here. <laughs> and you've just got to, it becomes this mental battle, this war in your mind of staying focused and, you know, and the big why behind it is obviously I want to run onto, onto the, the pitch of Moses Mabita Stadium in, in Durban. I want to finish this race. And by God's grace, we, we did it the next year. It was an amazing experience. Really enjoyed it. Anyone else done, comrades? Awesome. Next year, we train. <laughs> I still want to do it again, but uh, the training, it just takes so much time. It's like every Saturday, three hours, four hours. And um, I think, but I think I learned so much from that thing of, of just keeping the prize in mind. That helps us with endurance. Um, I love the way um, Eugene Peterson, he says it. He says that discipleship, the Christian life, you know, this day-to-day living, it's a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. A lot of doing the same thing, the same disciplines, singing the same song over and over. I don't know if you ever, like, I was singing holy at the end. Maybe you were like, James, okay, let's sing something different, you know. 
let's come up with some new lyrics. But I think it's, it's such a good discipline to learn to do the same thing over and over, but keeping the end prize in mind. There's a, there's a great quote by G.K. Chesterton, which speaks about this. It, anyone who's ever played with kids, Louis was playing with my kids yesterday, and uh, if you ever make the mistake, for instance, of like swinging one of them around, what are they going to say after you've done it once? Again! <laughs> and then you go again, and so you've thrown your back out, because they will never get tired. They will literally, I don't know, they will swing for eternity. <laughs> uh, they just want to keep going, keep going, keep going. But it's the adults who, who want something new. He says this, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says, every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic monotony that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but he's never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Deep. Placing eternity before us, placing our calling before us, it gives perspective to our lives, to our daily living, to the the exciting bits and to the boring bits, even to our suffering. Um, 1 Peter says, chapter 5 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yes, you're suffering now, but you're called to eternal glory in Christ. This is our destination. This is where we're going. I love what Ephesians 2 verse 7 says, that in the coming ages, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God is going to spend eternity lavishing us with kindness and with grace. This is what we're called to. This is what we keep in our hearts right now in the day to day. And so Paul prays, and I'm going to be praying this over us in a moment, that our eyes would be open to know the hope of our calling. Because it's something the Holy Spirit needs to do. To come and reveal the four dimensions of the love of Christ. That we are called to walk in a way that is worthy of our calling. To live, to go to church, to raise our kids, to eat our food, to exercise to do everything that we do in response to our calling in a manner that is worthy of our calling, of the great hope that we have, that we are a holy people, a royal priesthood. Romans 8 calls us sons and heirs. If we see, if we truly know the worth of our calling, if we know the worth of Jesus, the infinite worth of knowing Jesus and being known by him, it impacts the way that we live today. And there's no hope of walking worthily if we don't understand that we were called, that we were once dead and we are now alive 
and we're called to a great future. I don't have time, I'm, I'm going to end off now, but we don't have time to go into the rest where it spoke about the humility and gentleness, the patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But you see that all that speaks about how we relate to one another. And so I think that's so important for us to understand that it's not just about me understanding my calling, me understanding that I'm called, but the person next to me, God has a calling for that person. God has called that person. That person was once dead, but they are now alive. That person has an eternal calling of being forgiven, set free, loved forever in the presence of God. It's amazing when we start to, to, to view one another as eternal beings, eternally called. That changes the way that we relate to people. That changes the way that we interact with people. And so um, I'm going to pray over us. Maybe you can all stand. Dwayne, I don't know if you're able to come to, to the keys. I'm going to pray some of the prayers. I'm just going to pray two or three prayers that, um, that Paul prays in Scripture. I don't know if you want to take a photo with your phone. These are, these are amazing prayers to pray over yourself, pray over people. And the other day I was reading the end of 2 Timothy where Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I want to say that at the end of my life. And in order to do that, I need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Let's close our eyes. So I'm just going to read these scriptures, their prayers, and just receive it as if Paul is praying it over yourself. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you're taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Ephesians 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And the last one, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, we pray these things of your people, of your children, of your saints, God, that we would understand the hope and the calling to which we are called.